Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today, we're going to be talking to one of the co-authors of a groundbreaking new study on fetal pain titled Reconsidering Pain, which sheds new light on what babies might feel during the abortion procedure. That's coming right up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to be talking to John C. Bachman, who is the co-author of a major study recently published in the Journal of Medical Ethics called Reconsidering Fetal Pain. John is a PA in the military. He will soon uh, be shipping out once again, but he took time to sit down with us and talk about this new groundbreaking study, how it exposes the lies and bad research of the pro-choice side and what this all means for abortion. What does it mean that babies in the womb can probably feel horrifying pain and what can we be sure of and what can we not be sure of? So John was kind enough to join us for a conversation on his groundbreaking study and I hope you find this information as helpful and as fascinating as I did. Let's start off by by taking a look at this uh, new study that you are the co-author of. Um, Just tell us a bit first about your background and then what led you to this particular subject, the subject of fetal pain. Long and winding road, Jonathan. Um, I started out um, being what I would call pro-choice long ago. uh, I was raised in what's uh, known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is, uh, you know, pro-life except in cases where they don't want to be right and so i always thought that was pro-life right that's how they sold it and then uh, i came to find out as an adult not actually that long ago maybe around 2015 or so that they actually that they're they're not about that and so that got me looking around and thinking about it poking around and i i became more and more shocked by what i learned and um and i I, uh, I, decided, I got more and more interested. And I think I just realized yesterday, exactly, Jonathan, that, um, that my interest in abortion per se comes from uh, my own background of feeling very um, as rejected as a kid and not to get too personal right off the bat. But I realized that last night or two nights ago, while I was watching a movie that the, that's, that's why. And then the fetal pain aspect actually came about while I was in PA school in 2015. This was around about the time David Delighton's videos on right. Planned Parenthood were coming out. And I had just started PA school, uh, maybe a couple semesters in, and I saw these videos that just punched me in the gut. I was still right. a new father at the time. I had two young girls, and it struck me that these uh, fetuses, you know, we're clearly human, and um, around that time, all this fetal pain legislation was popping up, and I thought, if they can feel pain, it must be excruciating because they're torn limb from limb. And it right. was ex- it was extremely um, disturbing to me. It was it was awful, and so I changed my uh, PA school thesis from uh, obesity to 
fetal pain after some doing. I got my reader to allow me to do that, and uh, the rest is history. So was it tough to start looking at this field? Because this is sort of a subject that nobody wants to look at too closely because the pro-lifers just have, we have our assumptions about it. And so we're not too interested in finding out, um, you know, more and more details in some sense. Uh, and then on the other side, of course, any discussion of uh, fetal pain has obvious and inescapable assumptions, just like every time a, a new surgery on a baby in the womb is perfected, like, you can't help but discuss abortion when you're healing a child at, at the same stage, you know, that thousands upon thousands of their being aborted. So did you have trouble getting into this field? Was there any pushback or people asking, why would you want to take a look at this particular issue? Yeah, and, and I hinted at that a little bit when I uh, talked about changing my thesis, my readers and my academic advisors and the, um, everybody in charge of me at the time resisted me, uh, my inclination, which was very strong, uh, emotional inclination, uh, because they said, well, this is going to be too, it's going to be too political. What are your motivations? Are you really religious? What's going on here? You're going to bring all your your baggage to this topic and we don't want that we want something that's scientific and uh, I, I feel that you know I feel very strongly that um, facts needed to be brought to bear because there were two very uh, very different sides to the story right if you go on to popular media it's impossible to find anything nearly impossible to find anything that's that's uh, saying that fetal pain is even possible but here we have all this legislation that is uh, directed at fetal pain. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I we all bring baggage, right? The, the equalizer right. is right. facts. So it's kind of interesting on, on that subject because fetal pain, I think is a very powerful way of looking at the abortion issue simply because it highlights what abortion actually is at the same time. Like I myself, I'm not pro-life because a fetus can feel pain. I'm pro-life all the way through. I'm pro-life because the fetus is a, a unique individual living whole human being, not because of some sort of characteristic or stage of development. But what's really interesting is is you have all of these mainstream newspapers that whenever a fetal pain bill did emerge, uh, would interview all of these different pro-choice doctors, people like Dr. Jen Gunter and others who would say, look, um, there's absolutely no way that the fetus in the womb does feel pain. This is basically just anti-choice propaganda, trying to play on people's emotions. Um, and so they admit that a dis discussion of fetal pain is a very powerful educational tool and that it assists us in stigmatizing abortion as a procedure. But at the same time, they deny that any of the science uh, has any provides us any evidence that the assertions put forward by, say, fetal pain legislation are true. So when you approached this topic, what did you expect to find? I didn't know, Jonathan, at first. I mean, I, I tried to approach it with an open mind. Uh, very difficult because it is highly charged. And I think uh, I mentioned how emotionally it hit me just seeing mm -hmm. David Delighton's mm -hmm. videos. But um, one site in particular kind of gave me an overview that there's maybe something more to this. And that is a website called Doctors on Fetal Pain, which you may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. If you're not, it's, it's worth okay. a look. Doctors on Fetal Pain. And it gave um, a lot of different quotes from scientific studies into the topic of fetal pain that indicated, that, yes, there was probably something more to this. So I expected that there would, A, that I would read those um, reviews and studies 
and find out something, what the basis was for these fetal pain laws. And context is everything. So I realize politicization of this topic is, is unavoidable. Um, so I wanted to know if there was anything there. I suspected there there was, but um, but I wasn't sure. And I was I was I was very much um, glad to have done it because there is it turns out it turns out there is something to the fetal pain legislation. Right. So moving on to your study now, because I really want to break this down for all the listeners and the viewers, because I, it's very very important, I think in the age of disinformation, in an age when fake news is a very popular slogan, and in an age where I think abortion activists very successfully portray um, pro-life versus anti-science and things like that. And all ironies aside, that is a successful tactic and it's important we get our facts right. What were your findings in your paper, Reconsidering Fetal Pain? So, back up just a little bit and tell you, what my findings were that led me to this. And that is, okay, so initially there was a researcher named Bjorn Merker who did a study on hydranencephalic uh, children and actually some adults. Um, They're born without a cerebral cortex. And they, cerebral cortex up till then has been tacitly assumed to be the organ of consciousness, the part of the, the outer part of the brain that deals with executive function and perception and processing of all the data that comes into the human being through all the senses. So the tacit assumption was um, that this, this was necessary and therefore if it was not adequately connected to use sort of a blunt an analogy to um, household wiring or something, then you couldn't get the pain sensation to the cortex, therefore you couldn't be aware of any pain. Right. Everything below that, any response would therefore be reflex. Um, and so that, that was the dominant, um, the dominant theory or the dominant hypothesis in the field. And um, so what Bjorn Merker did was he, he did research with kids essentially who didn't have much of any cerebral cortexes. And yes, they were greatly diminished in their uh, physical capacities, right? I mean, they weren't, they weren't talking, thinking, feeling like you and I do as far as we know, but they, they did respond. They did have favorite music. They had favorite people. Um, there's one poignant picture in Bjorn Merker's 2007 uh, article that uh, shows a, I think it's a three-year-old girl receiving her infant brother into her arms. And the look of sheer joy on her face is palpable. It's very powerful. And I got chills as I just recalled it just now. And, and that right there is such a human emotion that... Um, that that set me up to do more research into Merker. And it turns out there's a lot more um, research from uh, KJS Anand, Sunny Anand is his name. Um, there's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce all these names. I've never met them, but <laughs> Philip Philippi and a few of the other ones that we cited in our uh, research where we have now a grown man who is talking, thinking, feeling as you and I do and may even have enhanced uh, perception of pain. Um, he's older than I am. Uh, he's, I think, in his 50s. And uh, he, can, he's, he can tell jokes. I mean, he's, he lost most of his cerebral cortex. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly the cortex is not required. So once the cortex isn't required, it turns out that the primary studies on uh, fetal pain, and indeed the perception of pain, um, hinge on the cerebral cortex. 
So right. if, the cor if the cortex is not required, then these studies fall. And um, as I began to look through JAMA 2005 with Lee and others mm -hmm. and Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists 2010, it occurred to me that this is, this is everything that they were basing uh, their papers on. Right. So I contacted Stuart Derbyshire, who co-authored ARCOG 2010, what I call it. And I said, hey, what's up with this? And um, that began our conversation. And he, he didn't buy into that all at once. But I was like, hey, listen, um, there's this line. And I don't know, I'm talking a lot, so interrupt if you want. But there's this line in the summary, the initial summary of ARCOG 2010, fetal awareness. And it says, uh, uh, as most neuroscientists believe uh, the cortex is necessary for pain perception, it can be concluded that the fetus cannot experience pain in any sense prior to this gestation in 24 weeks. So I was like, Stuart, that's garbage. That means as most neuroscientists believe or conclude that the cortex is necessary, therefore it can be concluded, concluded that uh, they can't feel pain. That's just totally circular. <laughs> and it's and it's an appeal to popularity. It's it's nothing, and they don't even substantiate their appeal to popularity. This is a complete unscientific statement, and essentially everything that comes after that is just window dressing. And there's right. a lot that comes after that. It's a very involved study, but it all hinges on that one line. And um, anyway, so that's the background to okay. uh, to my research, and um, I think the. The back and forth between Stuart and, and me over the years has just been really illuminating. Very, very right. cool. The coolest. So what were the, so what were the key, key findings, findings of, of your, your paper, paper reconsidering, reconsidering fetal, pain? fetal pain? Key findings are that we can be reasonably certain there's something to uh, fetal pain before 24 weeks. It seems very... I don't want to put words in Stewart's mouth and we were very mm -hmm. cautious about this. Right. But, um, I feel reasonably certain that the fetus can feel pain 18 to 20 weeks. That's, um, that, uh, that's the realm in which they receive, uh, anesthesia for therapeutic fetal interventions right, anyway. Right. And, uh, furthermore, it's, it's not, uh, impossible before, before that, even down to maybe 12, 13 weeks. Now, it gets less and less certain. Does the fetus respond to touch? Yes. Does the fetus have nociceptors? Yes, pain receptors, right? So, so yes, so what is the fetal experience at that gestation? Nobody can say, of course, you know, it gets down to the question like, what is it like to be a bat? What is it like to be a fetus? Nobody knows, but we can say that the fetus responds in every way as if he or she feels pain. and um, I think that require that that's a morally significant fact that we dare not overlook. What are some of the misconceptions on either side, both pro-choice and pro-life, uh, that you think your study really challenges? The misconceptions on pro-life or pro-choice side? Yeah, yes. that's your question. Well, I think the, the most obvious one that it confronts is the idea that there is no such thing as fetal pain, which is right, something right. that ARCOG 2010 basically came out and said. They were all over the map, to be quite honest. And I don't want to disrespect the authors, right? They're very learned, you know, some probably far smarter than I am. Okay, so let's just put that out there. I respect them. 
Stuart Derbyshire, Derbyshire is one of them, uh, my co-author. So these are very smart, very accomplished people, but even they can make mistakes. And I think one of them was assuming, extrapolating from the lambs, uh, fetal lambs, which they said were always asleep in utero uh, and therefore couldn't feel pain. They extrapolated from those to the human fetus. Uh, I, it's not clear that the lambs were even asleep and insensate to, to pain or other sensations. First of all, I think that's a pretty big assumption and it's not borne out anywhere. It does seem to be kind of a magic bullet. So mm -hmm. I think we can wipe that off the table um, as far as, as far as a hardcore, like a strong finding. I think right. that it's not reasonable to assume uh, the fetus acts as if she feels pain. So then the other one is, can she feel pain before 20 weeks? And I, 24 weeks. And I think that, I think that assumption, and it is assumption, it's based on the idea that the cortex is required. I think both of those have to go away, at least in their present um, uh, ossified form. I think they have mm -hmm. to go away. On the other hand, and I, th I thank you for asking about the pro-life side or the other side. And I think that we, we can't draw too firm a conclusion, especially at these early gestations, that the fetus actually can, capital C, capital A, capital N, feel pain at 13 weeks. I don't think that's necessarily so. And right, right. I think that we, we don't want to overstate, or I don't want us to overstate our right, case here. Right. And would you say that that's one of those things that we can't know? Um, that uh, whether or not the, the, the child can feel pain at, at 13 weeks is just something that's pretty impervious to any of our research? You know, frankly, uh, Jonathan, yes. Um, and and that, that's not unique to the 13-week fetus by any means. That's true for animal pain. That's right, true for right. nonverbal humans um, or it's true for uh, humans in diminished states of consciousness. And in my thesis in 2016, I brought up the idea of the Glasgow Coma Scale, which has some gra graduated scale for how conscious a human being is including, you know, they have a pediatric uh, version as well. But I think that, right. yeah, you just can't know. You, there are every, every measure that we use is a surrogate measure. That is, it's not a direct measure. And frankly, Jonathan, even verbal report considered to be the gold standard for pain perception is when the patient can tell you, yes, I feel this. It feels a seven out of 10 pain. Well, guess what? In my line of work, I'm a PA in the army and I always go off of more than one sign. That is, if the patient tells me seven out of 10 pain, that's great. And I, I will take that at face value, but I'll also seek to verify that with other signs, right? Um, so it's a constellation of things. We can't know. You're exactly right. There's just no way to know. But we can go by what, you know, by a, a consilience of evidence, so to speak. Right. So what was the response to your study? Because so I saw it all over the place. But then again, I, I, I inhabit a very particular type of silo. Um, so, uh, you know, my Twitter feed is filled with pro-lifers. And to be fair, I follow New York Times and Vox and, and, and all the lefties as well to ensure I'm getting both sides of it. But virtually every article that I saw coming out from the socially conservative side of the spectrum just said, basically, new study on fetal pain kind of confirms what we thought about fetal pain. I, I looked at your paper. I did a bunch of, uh, of research of my own. And I thought, well, 
kind of what you said, which is a yes, um, but you were more saying that the the abortion activists were wrong rather than saying that pro-lifers specifically were right. Um, what was my interpretation of it? Was what was the reaction to this from from abortion supporters, or did they do what they do quite frequently when it comes to anything embryological, just ignore this entirely? Right. I kind of figured. Markedly, markedly the latter. Because listen, so I, I kind of view it as the you know the stages of grief or or um, or um, uh, as with any scientific findings, first they're resisted. And then when they can no longer be resisted, they're minimized. Mm-hmm. They can no longer be minimized. And finally, uh, once some of the old resistors and minimizers die off, then then they'll be accepted gradually. So I don't expect this to take um, abortion world by storm. I don't expect this to be, uh, you know, it's. I don't expect it to be trumpeted anywhere outside of pro-life um, neighborhoods. But I, um but yeah, that's the response. It's been a pretty strong silence from, uh, I mean, it, it, it really, it, it, it sticks a finger in the eye of ARCOG 2010 and JAMA 2005. Mm-hmm. So, including it, by one authors. of the previous authors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he himself, I mean, he's, he's one of the most prolific authors on the topic of pain, certainly fetal pain. And for him to turn around and not just say uh, fetuses can feel pain, which he denied outright for years, um, but now to say that they um, they may well feel pain as early as 12, 13 weeks. I mean, that's a that's a huge turnaround. And, and takes, no, ad, ad yeah. takes admir- admirable intellectual honesty, too, it has to be said. Yes, Jonathan, this is the biggest to me. OK, so there are two co-equal stories here. One is that, yes, fetuses can feel pain more than likely, I would say, certainly around 18 to 20 and possibly down as early as 12, 13. But that to me is not even the not even the sole story here. An equally big story is the fact that Stuart Derbyshire, one of the primary proponents of no fetal pain, one of the co-authors of some of the major, uh, one of the two major studies mm-hmm. on this topic, mm-hmm. has has changed his perspective. That is incredibly courageous and honest. Um, and it, I just don't have enough words to describe how unusual this is. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so th- this is an interesting question, um, simply because my, my worldview on this, I wouldn't say is airtight, but my worldview on, on the abortion issue is based on my belief that human beings have unique value and that it's wrong to kill human beings. So again, whether or not they, they feel pain, um, is not particularly relevant to how I view the abortion issue, right? I believe human beings have human rights. Human rights begin when the human being begins. Science tells us when the human being begins, and thus abortion is a violation of an individual, unique human being's right to life. But there are moral implications to your paper, some of which were covered, and I believe it was uh, the Daily Mail, uh, one of the a big UK papers, who did mention that your paper has moral implications because the, the abortion cutoff in the UK is 24 weeks. Here in Canada, there is no cutoff at all. You can get an abortion all the way up until birth. So your paper certainly has uh, moral implications uh, for for countries like Canada as well, and then of course for uh, certain states who are responding to a wave of pro life legislation by legalizing abortion de facto through all nine months, places like New York City, uh, New York, pardon me. What would you say the moral implications of this are for somebody who might not be pro life like myself or yourself, who might not hold the worldview that we have? 
What do you think the educational value of the study is in really bringing home to a lot of different people that maybe they should reconsider how, how they view abortion and how they view preborn life? That's a fine question because I agree with you that uh, fetal pain doesn't really make a difference as to whether or not we ought to be aborting our children, right? So um, this is really not for pro-lifers so much. This is for people who are either on the fence or are pro-choice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. um, I think pain is the, is the maybe not the, but it's certainly one of the primary universal languages. Everybody right. understands it. Right. Uh, you don't have to have a PhD in philosophy. You don't have to, you know, be a, a biologist or an anatomist. I mean, th- this is something that if you poke, you know, what is it? Shylock said, if you prick us, do we not believe? Um, and in the old days, <laughs> in the days of slavery, uh, there was a medallion. Uh, Am I not a man? And, a and a, yeah, and a yeah, and a brother. And so I think that this draws upon a universal human experience, which is undeniable. Like we can, we can intellectualize all sorts of things, which I think, frankly, we've been guilty of doing. Well, mostly, mostly these two papers that um, that this that ours uh, more or less assaults. Uh, guilty of intellectualizing pain when it's really not an intellectual experience at all. I mean, it's you know, form implies function, and if the um, nociceptors are in place early on, 12, 13 weeks, and they seem to be, then that, f- that form implies a function. Every other organ in the body, every other um, form, organ, structure in the body, uh, its function arises with that structure. So why would pain be any different? And pain is one of the most primal, primal responses to anything, arguably the primal in, uh, response. I mean, it's, it's protection. It, it, it uh, elicits a protective response uh, in the organism immediately. And it's so it's, it's down to the simplest amoeba. Um, but the question is, can we, is that morally significant in amoeba? I don't think so, but humans, it's not so easy to say that. Um, uh, Ray Pascal, a um, anesthesiologist down at Vanderbilt, who I got to work around a little bit while I was down there. Um, he said, you know, it's a human response. And he, this is from a, an, a New York Times article. He said when he was in a surgery, uh, the surgeon, you know, started to cut on the fetus and the fetus lurched. And uh, Dr. Pascal was appalled and he dramatically increased the dose of anesthesia for that fetus. He said, as for his explanation, he said, that I don't, I don't have to overthink this. Essentially, he's like that's a very human response, and I don't, I don't, it's not mm-hmm. right to do less than give right. that fetus this right. anesthesia. It's a very human response from a human being, which is really all I need to inform my pro-life worldview. Well, thank you so much for for joining us and taking the time to to talk about your research. And I really do appreciate the research that you did. I found it fascinating and and, and I think a very important tool in the pro-life toolbox that we should all be using. I really appreciate you uh, stepping out and asking me to join you. Um, There's nothing I like so much as sharing about the things that I've learned Mm -hmm. over the last three or four years, four Mm -hmm. or five years, actually. Um, It's been a great honor and pleasure, and I wish you the best. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with John Bachman, the co-author of a groundbreaking new study on fetal pain. We really appreciate you joining us this week. We do hope you'll join us again next week. And in the meantime, if you want to check out Culture War updates or if you want to check out past episodes of this podcast, you can head over to LifeSiteNews.com, click on the podcast tab, or simply take a look at a lot of the opinion commentary being uploaded every day. Again, thanks so much for joining us.